Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah, the 14th chapter. We got down through verse 11. We pick up with verse 12. We'll begin reading with verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heaven, into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation in the isles of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look or stare upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made, that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms? that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof and opened not the house of his prisoners. All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, and as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be re, uh, renowned. Prepare slaughter for his children, for the iniquity of their fathers, that they do not rise, nor possess uh, the land, nor fill uh, the face of the world with cities. For I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts, and cut off Babylon, the, the name and remnant, and son, and nephew, saith the Lord. I will also make it uh, a possession for the bittern and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the besom of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. Now let's stop there for a moment. We have the fall of an arrogant king of Babylon, but there is an allusion to a greater one than, than this. We know all of this tells of a man that falls, but it also is underlying with some thoughts about Lucifer, son of the morning, or Satan himself, and his fall. And that's the thing that we have to couple together. We see that actually this star of the morning, literally the bright one, evidently a reference to Satan, embodied in the king of Babylon, because of Christ's similar description in Luke 10, verse 18, and because of the inappropriate and expressive uh, expressions of, uh, on the, of verse 13 and 14 that we just read on the lips uh, of any but Satan, we know that he's the one that's the fallen one. And uh, so we want to talk about Babylon, the king that has fallen, and also uh, the allusion here to Satan himself and his fall. Now, we have another representation in the king of uh, Tyre in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. And uh, we can read uh, some about this one, if you would care to turn to Ezekiel 28 and verse uh, 2. Well, let's read verse 1 and 2, and then we'll drop down to verse 13. Ezekiel 28, verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas. Yet thou art a man, and not God, though thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God. Now verse 13 it says, 
Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the, and the jasper, the sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub, cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. So thou wast, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. We know it has to be talking uh, more than about a man, an ordinary man, till iniquity was found in thee. And then it says, By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground, and I will lay thee before kings, and that they may behold thee. And so there's two passages of Scripture that uh, are in harmony, speaking of of uh, Lucifer here in Isaiah and uh, the one in uh, the book of Ezekiel. And we find that the fall of this arrogant king of Babylon in the book of Isaiah, there's an allusion here to a greater one than, than this man, this king. We're going to, we have already pointed out in our last lesson how that he was cast out and uh, of his grave, and he was there was not a place for him to be buried. And for one whose uh, sin had been excessive, he was to be denied a normal burial. And this was one of the worst things that could happen. And we read that in verses 19 and 20 and 21 in the 14th chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah warned that the kingdom of Judah would be taken into captivity by Babylon. And there are several warnings. And this happened in 586 B.C. And Jeremiah prophesied that the captivity would last for 70 years. Then Babylon would be judged and the Jews would be permitted to go home. And you find that in Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, about 14 verses, so we will not take time to, to read them. So the capture of Babylon by Darius would be good news to the Jews because it would mean the end of their exile and their bondage that they were under in Babylonian captivity. And the picture in Isaiah chapter 14, which we're studying, verses 1 through 23, is that of a mighty monarch whose pride brought him to destruction. Now, if you remember, this is what happened to Belshazzar when Darius the Mede captured Babylon in 539. In Daniel 5, if you remember, I think we mentioned it last week, where uh, it says in verse 30 and 31, in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So that he describes this is what happened to Belshazzar when Darius the Mede captured Babylon in this year 539 B.C. Isaiah described the king's arrival in Sheol, the world of the dead, where the king's wealth and glory and power vanished. Look in verse 9 of Isaiah 14. It says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. 
It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. Of the nations. It says, all they, that is, these spirits of the dead, these kings, uh, shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we are? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vows, the worm uh, is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. So, he describes this king as his arrival in, in Sheol, the world of the dead, where king's wealth and glory and power is vanished. And the dead kings already in Sheol stood in tribute to him. But it was all a mockery because death is the great leveler and there are no kings in the world of the dead. And then we come to verse 12 where it speaks of Lucifer is Latin for morning star and suggests that this king's glory did not last very long. And the morning star shines, but is soon swallowed up by the light of the sun. You know, the morning star gives way to the light of the sun. And the prophet saw in this event something far deeper than the defeat of an empire. In the fall of the king of Babylon, he saw the defeat of Satan, the prince of this world, who seeks to energize and motivate the leaders of nations. Now, who is spoken of here? We uh, the prince of this world is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 2 and also uh, John chapter 12 verse 31. Let me see. In John 12 verse 31, uh, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And he was speaking of Satan. Through Christ's death, his power was annulled. Uh, the, the potential victory over Satan was promised and guaranteed by Christ's death on the cross. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Someone might say, well, then why do we still have problems with Satan? Because the day has not yet come that that judgment will be finally executed. And I'm going to try to give you some more things that will show us that it will be executed. Uh, Paul also speaks of the fact in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Now listen, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He says, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. So it says, uh, according to the prince of the power of the air. It's spoken up in... In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 20 indicates that Satan has assigned princes or fallen angels to various nations so that he can influence leaders to act contrary to the will of God. Let me read this for you in the book of Daniel, if you will. Chapter uh, 10 and verse 20. It says, Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come to thee, and now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia? And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. And so we find that, But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. So the devil tries to take over all the nations through his possession of their kings and through uh, his princes that he's assigned these fallen angels, demon possession, uh, have tried to control the events of the world and to act contrary to the will of God. But God is not permitting that, but to a certain degree. He lets it go 
far as he will, and then he'll turn around and he'll put an end to it. This highest of God's angels, when we speak of Lucifer, or the day star, the son of the morning, this highest of God's angels tried to worship the throne of God and to capture for himself the worship that belongs to God only. In fact, if you'll remember, Satan made an attempt as far as Jesus was concerned to try to get him to fall down. He says, "All the, he says, I am all the kingdoms of this world. He says, all this shall be yours if you'll fall down and worship me. And what did Jesus say in that great temptation, Matthew chapter 4? He said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And so his attempt to get to Jesus didn't work. And this name, Lucifer, our morning star, indicates that Satan tries to imitate Christ, who is the bright and morning star. He is a great imitator. In Revelation 22, verse 16, the Bible says that, that Christ is the bright and morning star. But he is the, he's the one that tries to, to imitate. He says, I will be like the Most High. He wanted to imitate, be like the Most High. And he reveals his basic strategy, for he is an imitator all the way through. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And God says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You know, there are five. If you look at your scripture, do you have your Bible open? If you look at verses 13 and 14, you'll see five phrases beginning with the I will that detail Satan's sin. First, he wished to occupy heaven, the abode of God himself. Notice the first, in verse 13, 14, each one of these things is, is, uh, begins with the word, I will, or I will, his, his claim. He says, I will ascend into heaven. That's the first thing. So he wished to occupy heaven, the abode of God himself. He wanted to be an worshiper of God's power, God's position. And then he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. To exalt his throne above the stars of God may be his desire, refer to his desire to rule all angelic creatures, the stars of God. Or it may simply be another way to indicate his self-exaltation. It says, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. The north in heathen literature indicated the abode of gods. Thus, Satan's ambition was to govern the universe as the council of Babylon gods, Babylonian gods, supposedly he tried this to do this. And notice he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He won, he won the glory that belonged to God alone. And his entire goal was to be like the Most High. And God says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. So his strategy, his basic strategy, was to be like the Most High, and he wanted to imitate God, and even wanted, he wanted to be like God. And like the king of Babylon, Satan will one day uh, be humiliated and defeated. He will be cast out of heaven, Revelation chapter 12, and finally cast into hell. And we find, let me give you those things. First of all, let's notice how he tries to imitate. Then we'll notice how he's cast out, finally will be cast out of heaven, and finally will be cast into hell. Look in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. Paul is speaking of false apostles, and he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. See that? Satan himself 
2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. But verse 14 says that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And he will be cast, he will finally be cast out of heaven. Revelation chapter 12, if you turn to Revelation 12, let's read verses 9 and 10. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Look, look at all the things involved here. He's called the great dragon. He's called that old serpent. He's called the devil and Satan. And he's called the deceiver, which deceiveth the whole world. And he's cast out into the earth. Remember, he, he was the one that accused, in verse 10, he's the one that accused Job of old. And he's the one that's the accuser of the brethren, brethren until this day. And until the time that he's cast out here in the book of Revelation. And then finally, he will be cast into hell. Look in Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's Revelation 20 and verse 10. The devil that deceived them. He goes out to deceive all the nations. We might say, well, what is his plan? How does he work? What is, what is the whole story of Satan? Well, God created the anointed cherub, perfect and clothed him with every precious stone. We had that in Ezekiel 28. And we saw his rebellion in Isaiah chapter 14 that we've been studying about. And his destiny that he will be cast out of heaven to the earth. We read that in Revelation 12. He will stir up man against God, but his time is short. We could have read on down in Revelation chapter 12 where he would stir up uh, man against God. It says... In chapter 12 of Revelation and verse 12, it says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So when he's cast out of the heavens, he causes all kinds of trouble more in the tribulation than he's already caused, because he knows his time is short. And by the way, it is. His time is short. When you get over in the book of Revelation chapter 20, you'll find what happens to him when Christ comes. And so, he is, his time is short in Revelation 12 verse 12, and he will be chained by an angel in Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3. Let me read this for you. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. So what happens? When the Lord comes in Revelation chapter 19, then in chapter 20, this angel comes down, from heaven, and he has the key to the bottomless pit, and he he takes a great chain in his hand, has a great chain in his hand, and he binds Satan, the devil, for a thousand years. 
a thousand years while Christ rules and reigns in his kingdom, the millennial kingdom we call it, for a thousand years. And at the end of that period, in verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And they went up on the, the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And then it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So he has his last opportunity, doesn't he? He's loose for that little season, and then he finally meets his doom in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. So the whole story of Satan is uh, spelled out. Uh, and we come back to Isaiah chapter 14, and we'll take, take up some verse-by-verse interpretation to try to point out the things that actually happen historically as far as, the, as uh, the king of Babylon is concerned. And we'll read some of the judgments that come upon uh, Babylon in a verse-by-verse commentary. Let's uh, pick up with verse... We've read verses 12 through 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And we know that, that that'll be the final doom of Satan. And by the way, uh, it was the final doom of this king of Babylon as well. Now look at verse 16. And we'll go verse by verse now. If you have your Bible open. Isaiah 14, verse 16. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. In other words, they'll stare upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? So, the king of Babylon is referred to. And he is one that that made the earth to tremble by his mighty power. And then it says in verse 17, That made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the the house of his prisoners. Not only did Babylon have his prisoners in captivity, But Satan has his prisoners. They're taken captive by him at his will. We're told in 1st, 2nd Timothy that people are taken captive by Satan at his will. But he opened not the house of his prisoners, but Jesus came to open the house of those that were bound in prison, didn't he? Remember in his first sermon, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to blind, to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. So Jesus came to preach deliverance to those that were in prison, and to set at liberty those that were in prison, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And so what Satan likes to do is keep people captive, and what Jesus likes to do is to set them free. Men are in captivity to Satan, just as Israel was in captivity to the king of Babylon and in Babylonian captivity. And the only hope for their deliverance is the Lord and His grace to bring it about. Verse 18, All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, everyone in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave. Now, we said not even uh, placed in a grave because of his excessive Sins. He was denied a burial. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, 
And as the raiment of those that are slain thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden under feet. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial. This king of Babylon would not be joined with them in burial. Because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Prepare slaughter for his children. For iniquity, the iniquity of their fathers, that they do not rise to fill the place of their fathers, nor to possess the land, nor fill the face of the world with cities. In other words, they were not going to be permitted to, to fill the places of their fathers, the children of, these, of uh, this king and his descendants. Verse 22, For I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name, the name, and remnant, and son and nephew, saith the Lord. In other words, the whole family tree. I will also make it a possession for the bittern and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the besom of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, the bittern, it's difficult to translate the names of animals in this verse, but some say the hedgehog or the porcupine is meant. And in verse 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely I have thought, so, have, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. God's purpose for Assyria was clear. You remember the, the Assyrian was a rod. And the next verse speaks of the Assyrian. That I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains. If you turn back to chapter 10 and verse 5, it tells you what this Assyrian is. It says, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their, in their hand is mine indignation. You see, he speaks of the Assyrian as his uh, rod in his hand. And this rod in his hand was used to bring about chastening to his own people. God's purpose for Assyria was clear, the rod, of punish, the rod to punish Israel. Now look, look at verse 24 and 25 again. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. His purpose was going to be accomplished through the Assyrian. That I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains tread him underfoot. He had already used them and now he meets his destruction. Then shall his yoke depart from off him, off them and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. God is at work in this world carrying out his purposes. You know, if you look back and see what took place uh, in the days that Isaiah was speaking of these judgments, God says, I'm going to use the Assyrian as a rod to chase my people. Then when he got through with them, he says, I'm going to put an end to, to Assyria's rule and power. And he's at work destroying those wicked kings and wicked powers just the same as at some times he uses them to chasten his own people. If you'll remember in the book of Judges, all through the book of Judges, God permitted other people to, to be the instruments to, to chasten his own people because they would not get rid of them when they came into the land. And they became thorns in the, in the in their sides and in their flesh. And so every time in the book of Judges, the people would be oppressed and they'd cry unto God and, and God would send them a, a judge or a deliverer. And they, He would deliver the people from this chastening rod. Remember, He delivered the, 
uh, Israel from the hand of the Midianites by Gideon and his 300. And then they'd turn right back around and they'd follow the same path, get compromising and making uh, covenants with the nations round about them and get to doing things that God told him not to do and get to worshiping their gods and God would have to bring chastening uh, uh, upon them again by these foreign nations. And then God, they would cry unto God and God would send them another deliverer. That's much of what the people were looking for in the days when Jesus came on the scene. They wanted a Savior then to save them and deliver them and to set up a kingdom that they could live with, of peace and righteousness. Well, it didn't happen that way because He came to be not only the Savior of Israel, but the Savior of the whole world. But notice it says, This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed. Now then, no opposition can defeat God's plans. Look at verse 27. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? Can anyone disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? No people or nation is automatically excluded from his plan, and no opposition against his plan can defeat his plan. We read in the New Testament, If God be for us, who can be against us? And when God turns things around and his purpose is working, his plan is in action, well then no one can change it. Verse 28, In the, in the year that King Ahaz died, was this burden. See, he speaks of all these burdens of Assyria, of Babylon. Remember the burden of Babylon? Begin back in chapter 13, verse 1. Notice the language. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. Then you come over to chapter 15. The burden of Moab. In that last chapters 15 and 16. Chapter 17 says the burden of Damascus. And I gave you last week an outline. The burden of Egypt. And so on and so forth. Right on through. Until I think it's about the 23rd chapter. So all of these things, as far as Isaiah was concerned, was a burden that all the judgments that God had to bring about upon these nations were classified as a burden. In verse uh, 29, and here you have... Palestinia or Philistia uh, mark. Verse 29 says, Rejoice not thou whole Palestinia, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent. In other words, he's telling Philistia now, verse 29 is a new section. It deals with uh, Palestinia or actually Philistia as it's in the book of Amos, it's referred to in this, this way. And so here it says, Do not rejoice because the rod is broken. Because it says, Out of this serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice. In other words, a more deadly serpent for Philistia to contend with than what he previously had. Now in verse 30 says, And the firstborn... Of the poor shall feed, and the needy shall lie down in safety, and I will kill thy root with famine, and he shall slay thy, and he shall slay thy remnant. In other words, uh, here is a picture of God's deliverance. And he will kill this root that rises out, the serpent's root that comes out of the rod that was already being used in judgment. 
And notice it says, uh, And the firstborn of the poor shall feed, and the needy shall lie down in safety. A flock lying down in safety is seen. And then in verse 31 it says, Howl, O gate, cry, O city, thy whole Palestinia art dissolved. Assyria is the enemy from the north. And it says, Art dissolved, for there shall come from the north a smoke, and none shall be, a, be alone in his appointed times. But then we find in verse 32, What shall one answer the messengers of the nation? That the Lord hath found, founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall trust in it. Judah's trust was in the Lord, and there would finally be deliverance for them. Look at chapter 15. Now, chapter 15 and 16 have to do with the burden of Moab. And let me just give you an outline. I don't know how we'll get along. There's three things. First, in chapter 15, all nine verses have to do with the destruction of Moab that's announced. Nine verses. All, all nine verses. And then in chapter 15, you're continuing with Moab as far as God's judgment is concerned. And God calls Moab to repent in verses 1 through 5 of the 16th chapter. And only one more thing we find in verses 6 through 14, Moab's, Moab's pride and judgment comes upon them. So you have basically three things in these two chapters to look at. And in chapter 15, you have the burden of Moab. Because in the night are... By the way, let me just stop here a moment and say that all of about the first 30-something chapters of Isaiah, and I have the specifics right at hand, but the first part of Isaiah has to do with judgments, 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 judgments upon nations, first chastening of his own people, and then judgments upon nations, and the manner of those judgments, and God's call for them to repent. And the fact that they will not repent, he executes those judgments. But in the latter part of the book of Isaiah, you have a more mellow tone of things that happen. And you see God's people comforted through all the, the trials and tribulations and all the things they have to endure. So, in order to study the book of Isaiah, we have to keep in mind, we must teach all of these judgments before we get into the, the soft side, you might say, of the book. And show how God's people are comforted in the midst of all that they have to endure from time to time. Assyrians and captivity by Babylonian captivity and all that they have to endure. So right now we're continuing in uh, the 15th chapter of Isaiah with the burden of Moab. And it says, because in the night of Ar, Moab is laid waste and brought to silence. This is the destruction that's announced. Because in the night... Kerr of Moab is laid waste. In the night, Kerr of Moab is laid waste and brought to silence. He has gone up to Bajath and to Dibon, the high places to weep. Moab shall howl over Nebo and over Medeba, and all the heads shall be baldness and every beard cut off. In their streets they shall gird themselves with sackcloth on the tops of their houses, and in their streets everyone shall howl, weeping abundantly. What a terrible thing for nations to have to meet the judging hand of God. And Heshbon shall cry, and Eliath, their voice shall be heard even to Jehus. Therefore the armed soldiers of Moab shall cry out. The armed soldiers. Soldiers are not supposed to be crying out, are they? Armed soldiers of Moab shall cry out. His life shall be grievous unto him. My heart shall cry out for Moab, his 
fugitives shall flee unto Zoar, and heifer of three years old. For by the mounting up of Lithu, with weeping shall they go, shall they go it up. For in the way of Horneum they shall raise up a cry of destruction. For the waters of Nimrim shall be desolate, and the hay is withered away. The grass faileth, there is no green thing. You see, God can touch the people and He can touch the land as well. Because when He touches the land, He touches the people. You see that? The hay is withered, the grass faileth, there is no green thing. Therefore the abundance, therefore the abundance they have gotten, and that which they have laid up, shall they carry away to the brook of the willows. For the cry is gone round about the borders of Moab, and the howling thereof unto Eglaim, and the howling thereof to Berelim. For the waters of Diamond shall be full of blood, and I will bring more upon Diamond, lions upon him that escapeth of Moab, and upon the remnant of the land. And then God calls them to repent. He says in verse chapter 16, verse 1, Send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness, unto the mount of the daughter of Sion. For it shall be that as a wandering bird cast out of the nest, so the daughters of Moab shall be at the fords of Arnon. Take counsel, execute judgment, make thy shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday. Hide the outcast, beray not him that wandereth. Let mine outcast dwell with thee, Moab. Be thou a covert to them from the face of the spoiler, for the executioner is at an end. The spoiler ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. So God calls these people to, re- to repent and turn to him. We won't continue because the next verse is kind of isolated. It speaks of Christ in view. And then verses 6 through 14 is Moab's pride and judgment that comes upon them. So we'll pick up with verse 5 in our next lesson. And the latter part of the chapter we'll find that because of their pride, the judgment will fall upon them. Then in chapter 17, you'll have the burden of Damascus. And all of these things, as we progress along, you'll see that God is a God of of judgment, but God is also a God that allows for people to 